Hi ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at chapter 4 of James, and again his words get to the heart of the matter in our walk as a Christian. As a reminder, Chapter 1 covered the testing of our faith. Chapter 2 covered true faith works. Chapter 3 covered true faith affects our mouth, our tongue, and our words. And now chapter 4 teaches us to submit to God. One of my study Bibles entitles it, Things to Avoid. So let's begin. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. What is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly, so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. Adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit has caused to live in us yearns jealously, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Donald W. Burdick explained that the Greek word hedonon For desires and pleasures is the source of our English word hedonism, the designation of the philosophy that views pleasure as the chief goal of life. James said that it is this desire that sources our wars and fights, even within believers. Then James said, you don't have because you don't ask of God. And then he explained that sometimes God says no because we're asking in order to please our desires. Douglas J. Moo said, The abrupt and harsh, you adulterous people, marks the beginning of the most strongly worded calls to repent that we find anywhere in the New Testament. After the many times that James has called his readers brothers and even my dear brothers, his address, you adulterous people, really catches our attention. Verse 4 says, Adulteresses! Since the church is the bride of Christ, as found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 32, Adulteresses explains that we are not faithful to our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Haley said in his Bible handbook, Such passages suggest the need of unceasing self-examination. 
for having to live in the world and worldly things being needful to our daily subsistence, it requires great watchfulness to keep our affection above the borderline. In verse 5, James mentions that the spirit that lives within us yearns jealously. This is not an exact quote from scripture, so he may be referring to Exodus chapter 20 verses 5 and 6 or chapter 34 verse 14, which talk of God being jealous for his people. Douglas Moo said, This phrase reminds us that God has a claim on us by virtue of his work in our lives. In verse 6, the greater grace seems to mean that we have grace when we accept the Lord Jesus and then God gives us greater grace as believers humble themselves before God and continue to live in faith. Since he does that, we are to submit to God. The word submit means to put in order under. We need to understand that we are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we acknowledge that and humble ourselves beneath him and his leadership, there is order. As believers, we are to submit to God and then also resist the devil. Warren Wiersbe said, Satan is the author of all do-it-yourself spiritual enterprises. One thing to note is that we can resist the devil. Jesus was fully human and he did it. We have his Holy Spirit in our lives and we too can do it. In verses 7 through 10, we have nine imperatives or commands from James. One, submit. Two, resist. Three, draw near. Four, cleanse your hands. Five, purify your hearts. Six, be miserable. Seven, mourn. Eight, weep. Nine, humble yourselves. Then in verse 11, we have the 10th imperative. Don't criticize. Verses 11 and 12. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here the word criticize means to speak down on or to speak against. When I was younger in the faith and I saw people who claimed to be Christians and yet their words and actions did not align themselves up to what we learned in James chapter 3, I would say there is no way that person is a Christian. As a dearly loved deacon, Del Kirkpatrick once said, we are called to be fruit inspectors. It's one thing to notice that a person's word and actions do not measure up and to be wary of such people. But it is another thing to say that they are not Christians. My husband would constantly tell me that that was not my place to judge their salvation. And he was absolutely right. James here says, But who are you to judge your neighbor? According to Burdick, the NIV's translation, but you, who are you, catches the full force of the Greek construction. I was wrong when I judge a person's salvation, and I do not judge, or at least I try not to, or at least I try not to say it out loud. Each person will give an account to God for their lives. They will not give an account to me or to you. It seems that many of these warnings are given 
so that we each examine our own hearts and motives and see if our flesh or the world or the devil has infiltrated our ranks. Then verses 13 through 17 of chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is a sin. There are a few things to note. The problem with these merchants was not the desire to make a profit. It was that they were leading their own lives, planning their own goals, and not acknowledging that God has their life planned out. What does God want them to do? Douglas Moo said, we should guard here against another kind of misinterpretation. The idea that James is forbidding Christians from all forms of planning or of concern for the future. Taking out life insurance and saving for retirement, for instance, are not condemned by James. These may very well be a form of wise stewardship. What James rebukes here, as verse 16 will make clear, is any kind of planning for the future that stems from human arrogance in our ability to determine the course of future events. As I get older in life, and as we read the Gospels again this year, it has been impressed on me that Jesus said, follow me. The problem is sometimes we have no idea where he's leading us, but as I get older, I trust him more. As James said, life is short, poof, and it's gone. So it is good to say, if the Lord's will, I'd like to visit my son in California. There is an acknowledgement that we are under the Lord and his authority and his plan for our lives. The last verse I almost always think of when I go to a grocery store parking lot and I see a cart not in the gate. I am sure, 100% sure, that this verse does not really apply to that, but that is when I think of this verse. And in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. In my mind, the thing that is the right thing to do is to put the cart in its slot. There are other people who say that that's the store's job and I have no need to move it. The question is, what is the Spirit of God telling you to do? I like the translation that says, to him it is sin. As we walk in the Spirit, He will guide us today and tomorrow and the future because He truly does have the whole world in His hands. So if He is telling us to do something, it's best that we do it. Otherwise, for us, it could be sin. So ladies, has the Lord brought anything to mind today in these verses? If you have heard His voice, please don't harden your heart. Instead, let's be women who walk in God's grace, nearness, goodness, and guidance. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.